Welcome back to Space Castle. It is your clubhouse and ours for all things nerdy. My name is DT. My name is Alex. I'm Seth. Guys, we've talked about our most formative video games. We've talked about single-player games that need multiplayer. What I want to talk about today is the single-player game you have spent the most time with in your life. That is a very complicated question for me. It's a toss-up, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I can answer this motherfucker like straight off the top of my head, so I am perfectly fine going first or last in this situation. Kick us off, dude. If you've if you've got one to go, I have to I have to literally do some research to figure out the correct answer here. So I, <laughs> I need a few minutes. <laughs> Wait, have you written your own biography? Are you gonna go back and flip through it and see? Oh, that's right. That game was the one. Yeah, 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 yeah. Page like two thirty, two thirty of my memoir. So it should be a good place. <laughs> so the confines of this could be like loosely interpreted as what have you sunk the most time into individually and, and or solo which for me would obviously be halo but i'm not going to say that as my answer like halo for me for the longest time especially in in high school was like you eat dinner you play halo <laughs> you go to bed yeah that's a bit why it's complicated for me too Halo's probably in top five but i have a similar story with like call of duty 2 where I, like i used to play competitively so it was like training all the time <laughs> you know you have to yeah you have to play yeah even though it was a lot of free for all, I'm gonna I'm gonna leave that one out of my answer. But DT, why don't you give us yours? Mine is Final Fantasy VII. Oh, I actually would not have guessed that. Oh, I'm not surprised. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not surprised either. But if you had met me before I actually played Final Fantasy VII, you wouldn't think that was the case. Uh, it came out in America in uh, September of 1997, and the fucking commercials for it were out of this world. The marketing campaign for that game was just stellar hit me right in the feels. And I was somebody who growing up didn't actually play a lot of JRPGs. Like I played Secret of Mana and I was familiar with Square as a whole, but me being young and fucking stupid, I thought that turn-based RPGs would be boring and I never actually gave them a fair shot. But the commercials for Final Fantasy VII were stellar. I was so fucking excited about it and all my friends were talking about it that I demanded a PlayStation 1 and uh, Final Fantasy VII for my birthday that year, two months after the game actually came out. <laughs> it was absolutely worth the fucking hype. It changed the way I view video games. It opened up a whole new genre of video games for me in both turn-based RPGs and JRPGs. And it was not only one of the most formative games I've ever played, but it's also probably pretty easily the game I spent the most time playing in my life. I'm talking like there's a time counter in the game that like logs the hours you've spent. And I must have played to that game 10 times from beginning to end and hit 99999 each fucking time. Whoa. <laughs> Just insane. I was fucking obsessed. I was in like seventh grade and at lunchtime, me and my buddies would go to the library and read the fucking like sports and video game magazines because we're a bunch of fucking nerds. And I was, even after I owned the fucking game and had already beaten it, I would still pull that fucking copy of Electronic Gaming Monthly with Cloud on the cover with like the profile of the game, of the game and whatnot. It was fucking stupid. I had <laughs> imported action figures and like I had all the ultimate weapons and all the ultimate limit breaks for all the fucking characters. And oh, I just yeah. tore the fuck out of that game. And then I was massively fucking disappointed with Final Fantasy VIII, but we won't get into that. <laughs> I was going to ask next, like, how much time you, you sunk into, you know, subsequent Final Fantasy games? Eight, not so much. Nine was a masterpiece. I adored nine, and I played the fuck out of that, too. And then I kind of fell off for the whole PlayStation thing. I never actually owned a PlayStation until the four. So I would play and kind of watch my friends play like Final Fantasy X, 11, and 12. 
but I felt like there was a significant drop off in quality for the series after nine. So I actually never picked it back up again until like, I think I played 12. Yeah, I played most of 12. And then I played the MMO for a little while, which is actually shockingly good for an MMO. And it's also very like single player oriented. But as a whole, like the pinnacle, like the the absolute peak of the Final Fantasy series for me and single player gaming in general, apparently, is Final Fantasy VII. I mean, I don't disagree with that like assessment. I played a few Final Fantasy games in my day, most notably four, seven, and nine. Uh, and nine was the last one that I ever touched. But they're definitely in. For I mean, this is not. This is a nice cold take, but they're easily Hall of Fame games, right? So like, oh, totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It makes sense that you would have sunk a fuck ton of time into it. Like I I totally see that. I was obsessed. Like I said, I played it forever. The only thing I still have never to this day ever completed and finished was beating Ruby and Emerald weapons. Cause they are just ridiculously fucking difficult. And as a kid I just gave up and I never went back to it as <laughs> yeah. an adult. I just You never have time like you did when you were a kid. Yeah, I just never felt the urge to go back and check that off my bucket list. It's been erased roughly off my bucket list of ever defeating Ruby and Emerald Weapon, because fuck those things. You have to be absolutely goddamn fucking perfect. I, I just, I have never had the patience for that type of stuff in video games. Like, the fact that I've played as much of Elden Ring as I have, because you have to be absolutely goddamn fucking perfect to be good at that game, <laughs> is kind of shocking to even me, honestly. Like, I never really got into, you know, the Souls-like games past the first Dark Souls, which I played, but didn't really enjoy. But, yeah, everything else about Final Fantasy VII, the characters are fantastic. The translation is junky and full of fucking typos, but it's charming. And the story is really fucking weird and bizarre. And the first couple of times I played it, I had no idea what the fuck was going on. But then after <laughs> the internet was invented and I can go and read synopses and read like, you know, conversations that people are having on forums and whatnot, everything kind of came together and made sense. It's still not a perfect narrative. It's still really fucking weird and abstract, but it's not nearly as bad as like, kingdom hearts like that fucking nonsense where there's just <laughs> yeah. absolute just fucking chaos happening at all times and nobody knows not even the writers know what the fuck is going on <laughs> yeah there's another kingdom hearts coming out somehow <laughs> was that the first one you you went to the internet though like final fantasy the first one you went to the internet like looking for hidden things no i don't think so but it's it's the first time that i ever played a game that long and that lengthy and that dense as far as plot and there's a lot going on with that game. And there's a lot of twists and turns and a lot of very obscure and sort of ambiguous plot points that I needed to research and read and figure out in order for the game to fully make sense to me. So mm-hmm. that was Legend of Dragoon for me, which which was like, a I guess, would be an honorable mention, but it, w- it wasn't the one I probably sunk the most time in. The gameplay is like 70 hours. It's four discs. It's like a ton of content, but it's the first one I remember like being in a GameStop and then I saw the uh, the guidebook. And I was like, holy shit, it exists. <laughs> and I, I probably spent, I don't know, I put down Harry Potter and picked that book up and read it front cover to back cover and uh, figured out like an entirely new game. <laughs> because if you if you try to wander through a four disc game on your own without knowing anything about it, you end up like in the far reaches collecting some cool stuff, but not actually making any progress on the game whatsoever. <laughs> right. Yeah, I know that feeling. So there was a lot of time sunk there until that guidebook came about. And that was when, you know, that was internet was around, but it was like when GameStop was still in full swing. So, yeah, I think it might have still been Funko Land or something at that point. But yeah, fucking crazy. Alex, 
casually dropping the oh it was four discs it was about 70 hours made <laughs> me remember old days of internet gaming do you guys remember gamefacts.net yeah yeah oh yeah that was the first place i remember going on the internet for video game stuff and i don't know if you guys ever experienced this but gamefacts was made famous i guess by community made walkthrough guides of video games mm-hmm. and most of the time those walkthrough guides were just like assembled from forum posts that they made into a text document and kind of clarified and add, added like an index and stuff and for each game on game facts you would they had it categorized by single game and then you could go to like a walkthroughs section and they would just have like handfuls of community guides and you would just kind of like figure out which one worked for you or whatever, or had that one information that the rest of them didn't, that you needed, et cetera. And I remember going through several, several guides and whichever one had like big ASCII art of the video game as its header in the document, <laughs> I was like, okay, this is the walkthrough that I actually need. This motherfucker put some time into this shit. <laughs> yeah. There's some TLC behind this walkthrough, yeah. The ASCII art handwritten walkthrough guides on gamefacts.net are such a nostalgia bone for me i'm gonna <laughs> you know what i want to see if they're still up oh i bet it is and i bet it still is that ugly as fuck like dark blue and gray color scheme god <laughs> ubiquitous <laughs> is what you meant to say <laughs> <laughs> yeah final fantasy 7 i i'm pretty sure i was using i was using the official player's guide and I think I probably use GameFAQs quite a bit, too. Because, I mean, there was even fucking hidden characters and shit in that game. Like, it was an absolute treasure trove of dozens and hundreds of things to do. It was just awesome. Fucking great game. And I hope I ever get to see the second part of the remake before I die. Because <laughs> <laughs> it only took them 20 fucking years to do part one. Holy fuck. Oh, my God. Seth, report. Guys? Guys? <laughs> is this Guys. still up? Not only is it still up, it is exactly the same. No fucking way. It is. Jesus, it is. no. It is. No. There's even like the cheats section of video games at the top what? of the page, and in them is links to these fucking handwritten game facts guides. Let's go. What the absolute fuck? It's owned by GameSpot now, uh, oh. which is fine. Uh, because this isn't a, a relevant website to use anymore, so who gives a shit? <laughs> <laughs> but they've kept it like basically the same. They've added uh, what appears to be some reviews and like trailers and stuff to the site as a whole and to individual games. But oh, friends, <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. I'm actually a little shocked that GameSpot still exists too. <laughs> yeah, me too. Actually, <laughs> that's a good point. Oh my gosh, guys, this is like active i'm on the legend of zelda ocarina of time page and the message boards are, are like posts today it's active like a legitimately active forum site there's still forums on the internet in the advent of like <laughs> Dude, discord what this the is fuck? such a yeah i did not look i was not expecting this episode to take this turn but god i'm so glad that it did Dude, I was expecting to have some nostalgia and talk about games. I wasn't expecting to actually fucking go back in time. <laughs> Pika Charboy today asks, how do I long warp in Ocarina of Time? Boy, there are seven responses to this today. Let's go. I love There's the internet. There's about to be eight. <laughs> <laughs> 
It's times like these that I am reminded that the internet is a net good for humanity overall. I would argue that, but let's keep going with this good time we, we, we're promoting. <laughs> need to back off of Game Facts. What a People trip. People just like what's familiar. I mean, I get it. If you're a forum person, you're a forum person. Yeah, and I'm, you know? I'm definitely still part of like some legitimate forums. Project 4K comes to mind. The BBA Builders Club, like the R2D2 Builders Club. Those forums are like the place to do that on the internet. Even Dented Helmet, for those of you who know what the fuck that is. Um, it is a dented helmet. Is it like a, a Boba Fett thing? It's a Boba Fett cosplay forum. Yeah, forums are still alive and well on the internet, and I'm still a part of some pretty deep ones. Well, sometimes when that, once that community gets formed, it's just hard to move from there, you know? You can't move it elsewhere. And honestly, the forum as a platform style is very good at community stuff like that. Forums are old. And bulletin boards that it's all built on are even older, but like there really isn't a better thing for them to transition into, you know? We're getting into a whole other podcast right now, but uh, <laughs> just as a quick aside, I was I was part of a, a, a movie forum for a very long time, and I won't name it by name because it doesn't even exist anymore. I don't want to... Yeah. Anyway, uh, what happened was the owner kept threatening to to shut the forum down because it was costing him too much money, which is nonsense because... Yeah. Anyway, servers are cheap, but I get it. Well, it wasn't even on a server. It was hosted somewhere else. But anyway, uh, a bunch of us were like, okay, cool. Deuces. And uh, we started a discord like several years ago. And I honestly think that discord is an evolution and a much better iteration of the whole forum thing. It is basically a chat room, but the people I used to talk to on that forum, I now talk to on a daily basis on discord. And because it's so less rigid, then you're not just like screaming into the ether and just like posting like your whole fucking life story there. You're actually having a conversation in real time. I have gotten to know people that I was talking to on that forum for like a dozen years so much better. Mm-hmm. And I become so much better friends with them too. And like now we have, we've traded phone numbers and like we keep in touch and ask each other how their families are and shit like that. And you discover so much more about somebody's personality and what they're actually like when they're actually conversing in real time than when you're just posting. But forums are a really good source of information. It becomes almost like an almanac or like a manual because you can go back and read those long form like posts. Real-time communication is way better for building a community, but forums are there for reference. There, mm-hmm. there really isn't a better thing that does both community building and reference at the same time, like a, like a forum. And my Discord server list is 10 miles long. Like I get it. I'm a huge <laughs> fan. I think it's the best way to communicate, but mine is six. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I have I mean, six look, servers. If you guys want to roast me right now, uh, let me let me give a count. No, this this podcast is about roasting Alex. We established yeah, it a on. long time ago. Okay, okay, Alex. How many how many fucking Discord servers are you in, friend? I'm about to make fun of you. I'm in four. Four. Get some fucking friends. <laughs> those those are rookie numbers. You gotta pump those numbers up, kid. Oh no, I'm wrong. It was six. I thought it was four. Oh, I, I thought you were about I to say three. <laughs> well, now you've got the same number as me, and now I can't make fun of you anymore. DT, I think you're in four of the ones I'm in. <laughs> I think Probably. D- we cross over on four of those. You guys are both scrubs. You need to get out. What are you in? Twenty five. <laughs> mm, do I want to? Mm, I don't know if I want to say this number. Yeah, let's move on. <laughs> We've talked about how I'm not going to talk about Halo and my honorable mention of Legend of Dragoon, but the nostalgia is it's so much a part of our show. We had to talk about it, you know? Totally. Yeah, yeah. There's no way to avoid it. Like, that's what the 
what this is what the show is about alex <laughs> so dt mentioned how like an mmo can kind of sometimes feel like a single player game and i i think that if i'm going to kind of twist this question in my favor that's that's what i sunk the most time into alone was an mmorpg called nexus tk kingdom of the winds yeah you've talked about that on a podcast before yeah yeah i've mentioned it um it it's a game that was introduced to me by my grandmother and we played you know occasionally but um that was really just community based like all of the actual quests and fighting and whatnot that you had to do in the game was something that you generally did individually and then it, they had a leveling system where it went from one to 99 and once you hit 99 there were the kind of like th- three or four stages that were built out after that where you would hit a sort of like transcendent level within the game like a prestige like system a, yeah sort of a prestige system but maintain your 99th level and then you go to i think they called it like samson and then sasan it's a korean game so there were i don't know exactly how those translate but essentially you could level up uh, again another essentially three times but it took forever to get there you had to have a number of gold you have to have resources you had to have a ton of experience you had to have completed a number of quests like it was very very difficult to get to those sort of higher tiers and beyond that the game was set up in such a way that if you paid for the subscription which was like 10 bucks a month you get access to four character builds so in the game inherently there were four types of um, classes you could have a warrior mage rogue or poet and uh, those were your only options in terms of what kind of path you went down as your character. So essentially, you know, fighter, magic user, rogue, and then a healer. And because of the fact that you could create four characters and each one of those could go to 99th level and then on, you could sink so much time into that. And beyond just the fighting and the, the, uh, the quests and recovery missions or whatever, you also had the communal aspect of the game, which honestly, I spent probably just as much time doing that than any missions or quests or anything like that, because they, they had a, a full communal infrastructure where there was a sort of narrative through line that was being developed by the game master, where there was a king and then eventually at one point the the former king died and then there was a a coronation for a new one where the game was kind of in its height and um there were armies that were run by in-game players so there were very much like guilds like proper guilds uh proper factions that you could align yourself with and then also clans with within the the system so there's this big social infrastructure on top of just being able to play the, the the standard game and go and you know, hit the space bar a hundred times or like smash your macros. Fascinating. Is this game still around? Yeah. No shit. It's the longest running MMORPG. Do you guys want to try it sometime? Oh, I have I really, honestly really been really wanting want to try it for a while, but let's uh, fucking do it. I know for a fact I don't have the time to get obsessed with another game. <laughs> I will just try it for like an afternoon and be like, cool, now we know a little bit more about Alex. DT. Do you know anything about me? <laughs> that That's not even possible. <laughs> For the people who are sticklers and are going to give me a hard time about choosing an MMO, the other game that I spent the most time in individually on my own would probably be Pokemon. Yeah, that's, that's a pretty good one. The Game Boy game, probably Pokemon Silver. If I had to pick one, maybe Yellow, but it was probably Silver because once that came out, the game was elongated and I really, really wanted a Suicune. So... I played that. I would get to the end. I beat the Elite Four. I go into Kanto region, beat that section, and then when the game was over and I had completed it, I'd just start it back over again. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Like you do? And it was at the perfect time in my life where I didn't have any obligations and I had a ton of time. I was still obsessed with Pokemon, so Pokemon Silver probably was the one I played the most. 
Speaking of nostalgia, you guys remember Free Time? Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> I dream about it sometimes. That's not even a joke. <laughs> you, just dream, you just dream about just laying in bed and doing nothing. <laughs> I legitimately have dreams about going for long car drives that don't go anywhere and like sitting uh, like on a deck watching the trees blow. In the, like I, most of my dreams these days are of like very peaceful times. <laughs> and I think that says quite a lot about my life. <laughs> <laughs> I think your waking life is like your severed self. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then like oh, your, no. your dreaming self is like your, I have no work worries self. I uh. fucking wish, man. I wish I could remember. Um. Hey, I understood that reference. Hey. <laughs> watch the pilot <laughs> severance is so good dude i can't wait to talk about severance we should we should try and squeeze an episode in uh right about the time the second season premieres it'd be i'm down fun and timely because that show fucking rules yeah and i definitely will do a rewatch it's the kind of show where i'm like i i want to watch it again right now but i need to wait so i don't watch it too too much it's yeah. so good i loved that show so much it looks kind of stodgy from the outside in and once you start watching it it's like oh this is still a little bleak and it's a little slow it's the same way that that uh, people kind of describe when you watch things like fargo or breaking bad yeah where it's like it seems a little bit ponderous and it takes some time for you to understand it but once you start getting into the intricacies it really starts to make a lot of sense i think that might be why i like it so much is because like I am a little burnt out on the go, 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 hop in everything shows. I want the slow, cerebral, like deep burn type show right now. Like the, Severance was so good because it was a slow show. Like it, it picks up, sure, but like it's not a fast paced show. That's not the point. And I like that a lot. I think you just also like landscape blocking, like oh, dude, and this show does it like this. This show does it like it's its fucking job. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's like Blade Runner twenty forty nine sort of like sweeping scale. It's it's shot so beautifully, man. This show has the vibe where if someone told me Severance got fucking Roger Deakins as cinematographer, like oh, that actually makes a lot of sense. He didn't, but (laughs) it seems like it. (laughs) It looks really good. Yeah. It's stunning. Yeah, it's it's gorgeous. We're going to talk about Severance <laughs> some other time. Back to task. I've got two more honorable mentions, and I'm going to let Seth go. My other ones are Tekken. I put way too much time into Tekken. Tekken? Specifically, Tekken 2 and Tekken Hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on. Who's your main in Tekken? In both 2 and 4, it was Law. Fair. In 4, I played Steve quite a bit, actually. Steve! Which is strange. Because <laughs> he didn't kick at all. Um, but I could destroy. Absolutely murder. I, everybody loved Eddie for a while too, but I, I, you know, yeah. Eddie's just fun. That that's the thing. He's just he's just fun. Yeah, he's like DJ in Street Fighter Two, the new challengers, where he's just like kickbox fighting and like spinning around and shit. It was blast. Capoeira. Yeah. Capoeira. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, final honorable mention: Mario Six Golden Coins for the for the Game Boy. Really? Yeah, I played a shit ton of that game. Interesting. You talked for twenty minutes about an obscure Korean MMO. And that Mario game is the deepest pull you've made. Like, oh my god. <laughs> it's fucking true. Holy shit. Like <laughs> what wow. The fuck, dude. That game's only like five hours long, too. How many fucking times did you play through it? Over and over again. But it was right when I first got a Game Boy. It was it was I inherited the original Game Boy from my second cousin in Colorado when we first moved there. I was like five. And I played alleyway alleyway is just basically 
Brick Breaker. Brick Breaker, yeah. And Mario 6 Golden Coins, and because it was like the first and only video game that I could have with me at all times until Pokemon came out, I played it for probably like two years straight. There is a landfill somewhere in Colorado that has a mountain of just batteries from Alex playing his Game Boy as a kid. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I had a Game Boy Pocket that I played so much that it does not function anymore. It just stopped. It wasn't that I like dropped it or got wet or anything. It just stopped working. Just wore it the fuck out. <laughs> yeah. Hell yeah, dude. That always feels like such an accomplishment when you do something like that. Yeah. It was cool, too, because everybody had the Game Boy Color. The pocket was black and white, but it was sleek and silver. It looked like a Mac product back in the day. <laughs> I wanted a Game Boy Pocket so bad, but I couldn't justify the, the cost at the time. Yeah. It had a little like light, too, that you could you could attach to it. And I would play that on our trips to from Colorado to Ohio. You get 24 hours in the car and nothing else to do. I, I played Pokemon and I played Mario 6 Golden Coins. All right, Seth, see if you can fucking beat that, man. <laughs> yeah, I. Uh, this is a complicated one for me, guys. You're a complicated man. <laughs> I guess that's true. <laughs> I have a very similar sort of MMO story, right? As if I if I count an MMO that I played primarily alone, my number one pick is probably Destiny. Yeah, cool. According according to trackers, I've got four thousand three hundred and eighty seven hours and forty two minutes inside Destiny, <laughs> and I have not played it in well over a year now. Okay, I just pulled up my calculator. Give me that number again. 4,387 and 42 minutes. That is 182 days of your life. Holy fuck. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have anything to say about that. <laughs> That's amazing. I spent six months in Destiny and then I was done. <laughs> Same as the developers. Hey, oh, just kidding. Oh, I'm kidding. No. I'm kidding. Is it still true that they're not making a third one? They're just going to stick with two? Who the fuck knows? It's a game as a service now with Destiny 2, so it's hard to say. I mean, they literally just released an expansion like, I don't know, a couple weeks ago. I'm I'm out of sorts when it comes to Destiny. I'm lost me. Yeah, I only know about it because I'm still subbed to the Reddit. Destiny 1 was like primetime video gaming. That was That was some chef's kiss right there. Yeah, that was a requirement to be friends with Seth. <laughs> Basically, it wasn't a requirement in the same way that it is like, you know, you need to be a good person to be friends with me. It was a requirement where it's like, if you wanted to hang out with me, <laughs> we were playing Destiny. Like, that's <laughs> that's just what we did with the time. That might be it for me, but I have a couple other options that I don't have accurate time track for. So I don't actually know, right? Like I used to play Call of Duty competitively. So I spent a lot of time in Call of Duty 2, Modern Warfare and Modern Warfare 2 specifically training and, and competing and stuff. So like that, that might well be more hours. I don't actually know, but it's definitely close. I spent a lot of time in Legends of Zelda. God, I spent so much time in StarCraft and StarCraft 2. Call of Duty... Destiny and StarCraft are probably my top three. It's hard to tell because I don't have time trackers for those. But those are also all multiplayer games too. Like Destiny is really, 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 really hard to separate single player from multiplayer because you're all kind of, it's an MMO. But definitively, the actual true single player game that I've spent the most time in is probably not going to be a surprise to anybody who's listened to any of our other episodes. And that is Viva Pinata. <laughs> 
<laughs> straight up. Oh man, yeah. It's there's. Wild to me, man. I'm not ashamed of it. It is unusual, but it's true. I've spent a lot of time in like Pokemon and like you know racing games and stuff, but like one of the very first games I ever like turned to the internet or got a strategy guide for or anything like that. Yeah, Viva Pinata, dude. Wow. <laughs> for real. I mean, look. Here's here's my only justification for this, and it is, it was rare, limited at the absolute peak of their development power on a next generation at the time console. It was the only game that they were making and it's a peak power rare game. Like it, it's excellent. It's spectacular. I spent so much fucking time in Viva Pinata, dude. Actually, I have one other thing that now that I'm thinking of actually has some tracking involved that I can pull up and, and verify. Hold on. It's Leisure Shoot Larry. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Leisure Shoot. Dude, dude. Wow. I remember that game. Yeah. Um, okay. I remember getting a game over because I didn't use a condom. <laughs> I never actually played it. I just saw it on shelves when I was renting other N64 games. I have actual tracking for this. So this might be the actual single player game that takes first place. And that is Stardew Valley. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. According to this, I have 638 hours of game time in that, which is a lot. You know, actually, all of the the Animal Crossing series might be up there for me as well. I was going to say, I, I expected you to have that as sort of an honorable mention. I figured you would say Final Fantasy, but yeah, I mean, Animal Crossing, you can spend so much time because it's a daily thing. <laughs> I really wish that there was like accurate playtime tracking for like all of these games because I would be so curious of where I spent my actual time. I played Pokemon Yellow on Game Boy Enough to break the cartridge. Yeah. Like Alex broke his his Game Boy Pocket. So like yeah. I know I played a lot of that, but I couldn't tell you how much. Most of my gaming life is single player, I think, man. You know what the problem is? I I don't have any friends. How fucking dare you? Get out of here. Get called out, nerds. Let's play games. <laughs> Let's fucking play games, absolutely. But you know what? For all the hours and days and decades we've spent gaming. I don't feel like I've wasted any bit of my life. No way, dude. I will fucking die on this hill. Playing video games made me a legitimately better person. There are studies. Yeah. Makes you smarter, better hand-eye coordination, better empathetic response. Video games are great. You know what I've noticed about people that argue that video games are bad for humanity? Those people generally fucking suck. (laughs) Like, they're not good people. (laughs) I do not want to be like them. (laughs) Absolutely. Most of my connection with family members, especially like cousins growing up, has been centered around uh, video games and just playing like co-op from Super Mario World to Mortal Kombat to the Halo days. Anytime I, I think about a, a very important game until I became like a proper adult, it was it was like with family. Yeah, it was very much a bonding mechanism for me and my family as well. Like my parents were young gamers, so I played video games as well. Speaking of bonding mechanisms, is there any fucking way we can ever get Goldblum? Hell yeah. I think you thought I was going to say something very different about bonding mechanisms. (laughs) Is there any way we can get Goldblum under control and stop interrupting us every fucking time? I feel like I've toned him down really well. I feel like his, his interruption was like really timely and I think it was good. Okay, maybe I'm overly sensitive. We're closing in on the, the, the proper. All right, I'll continue to work on it, guys. God. All right, love you. So needy. But in the meantime, we've got messages from Earth we've got to get to, and then we'll get back with a listener question and our deep space. Alex has it this week. Psst. Hey, you want to get doomed? 
I'm Tessa. And I'm Nicole. And we have a spanking new podcast for your ear holes called Doom Generation. Listen in as two foul mouth biddies have an always casual, often comedic. What? I think we're funny. And sometimes chaotic conversation about the things that doomed us to be who we are today. Take a trip with us down nostalgia lane and we'll try not to veer off the road. Available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Doom Generation Pod and on Twitter at Doom Gen Pod. Later, Later Doomers! Those are some excellent messages from Earth. And as always, when we come back from those messages, it's sexy time. Ooh. I'm feeling voyeuristic. I want to watch Seth seg Alex. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like being conscripted into these sorts of things. You got to ask me like ahead of time, friend. <laughs> Seth, would you like to seg Alex while I watch? I mean, yeah, but like. Because I've got this bottle of cognac and a cigar I've just been holding on to. <laughs> oh, my God. This is problematic. It's <laughs> like a turn for the creepy. Alex, look, we're all having fun here tonight. I'm out the airlock already. Bye bye. <laughs> you want to? Uh, you want to tell us about some deep space recon you've been doing? Yeah, no, I'm already. I'm already out there. Yep, I'm gone. I think. I think you're saying words right now. I'm seeing hand signals. I don't know. What? what describe the hand signals to me. I think that's two middle fingers. anyway uh yeah so since we're codifying our our video game preferences and nostalgia i thought i'd codify something that i've talked about here on the show before that i've recently revisited which is these writing craft books specifically save the cat Mm. which i first encountered in film school as a screenwriting book so it's originally developed by blake snyder who's a guy that wrote blank check Blake Snyder is heralded as a very clever screenwriter. He's helped many, many people develop their scripts, and he's been in writing groups with uh, all kinds of famous uh, screenwriters who have developed things in in DreamWorks and Disney and Pixar and uh, for the you know proper dramas and, and so on and so forth. But anyway, the book that he wrote on writing craft uh, for screenwriting is is amazing. And what it does is it breaks down any movie that you can think of into 15 beats. And it, it follows a typical kind of three-act structure, but within that you have um, very delineated beats that every story essentially hits on. Mm-hmm. Um, that it, From an opening image to a debate uh, and catalyst to your first plot point, pinch points, midpoint, so on and so forth, until you get to all is lost, dark night of the soul, and then you get into act three and you gather the team, you storm the castle. Like There are names for all of these beats. And he breaks down even the finale into five individual subbeats. Essentially, what I'm saying is Save the Cat is a really excellent tool for developing a story. If you're trying to break a story and you really don't know where to start and you're trying to write something, it's a great way to um, outline and plot out kind of what you want your characters to be doing. And it tells you at those points what sort of emotional impact these scenes are supposed to have. It tells you where on like in terms of percentages or even sometimes page count you're supposed to be when you're hitting these beats and then uses, uh, you know, widely known references uh, like Star Wars as examples for how these beats are hit. Mm-hmm. Phenomenal book. It is has since then been um, expanded on. So there's a second one called Save the Cat Strikes Back where he goes into greater detail into sort of uh, genre archetypes and um, more examples of what he touched on in the first book. And then also sort of how it might work in the industry 
um, how to approach agents, things like that. So it goes from everything from how to write properly to how to break into the industry, which is really excellent. There's also spinoffs. Blake Snyder has since passed, but there are spinoffs. Uh, Jamie Nash did one on t- television writing, which is wildly different, as you could expect from film writing. Um, and then there's one by Jessica Brody, which is Save the Cat Writes a Novel. And I my favorites are the original Save the Cat and the final one from Jessica Brody, because it's more novel-based, which is more up my alley. But all four are well worth a, a, a read and a listen to. Uh, I've got them on Audible. I've I've got Save the Cat in print, but the the Audible ones come with an accompanying PDF that comes with question lists, checklists, beat sheets that you can fill out on your own. It, it it's great. So I highly recommend if you are into writing craft and you're you're trying to write a story of your own to at least look at the beat sheet. You can just type in Blake Snyder Save the Cat beat sheet. Um, the idea behind the title is that you want a recognizable hero and you want a character that you can relate to. Uh, a lot of times stories fall flat in the beginning because the main character is unlikable. Mm. And the the idea behind the phrase save the cat is that some somewhere in the beginning of your your book, your screenplay, you want a scene wherein your main character is walking down the street, sees a cat in a tree, and regardless of all the terrible things that they're thinking or uh, how crazy their their life is and all the distractions, they take the time to save the cat. And then you like them just that much more because everybody inherently, if you you save a pet, you know, you're going to be in a good spot anyway. Yeah. Save the cat. I, I highly recommend it. Um, some people say it's either the best or the worst thing that's ever happened to screenwriting. So find out for yourself, but I definitely stand by it. Do you guys remember reading rainbow? Of course you remember reading rainbow. You remember when the kids would do the review of their books and it would end with, but <laughs> <laughs> I kind of want to put that at the end of like every Deep Space from now because that was just a perfect thorough synopsis of the book and its history and the author that was fucking killer. Thank you, Alex. You have to, I think. That might be our <laughs> thing going forward now. from now on. Is <laughs> cool, man. Good shit. Yeah. You guys want to do a listener question? We have a really good listener <laughs> yes. question I'm actually kind of excited about. And again, it's actually kind of sort of sort of tangentially related to our main topic, oddly enough. Let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. So this question comes to us from John and Seth. Before I read that question and we answer it, do you want to tell the people how they can send in their own questions? Oh, yeah. I'll, I'll feed you little baby birds. Uh, you can. <laughs> <laughs> We're going off the rails now. You can now. find us at Twitter uh, and Instagram at Space Castle Pod is the handles for those. Uh, you can also send us a long form email at spacecastlepodcast at gmail.com. We have a very, very cool voicemail hotline that you can call and leave us some questions or feedback or what have you. And that number, I think I'm choosing at this point to willfully not remember <laughs> because I fucking can't. It's 1 591 You can actually text it too if Ooh. you're shy. But you shouldn't be, unless you skip straight to our horrible seg jokes every week, in which case you probably should be shy and probably keep your distance. (laughs) Cool. This question comes to us from John via the Gmail account that Seth just mentioned. The question is, what is the coolest balcony you've ever stood on? This is a very good question. Thank you, John. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I'll, I'll go first. I have one. Do it. I think probably... The coolest balcony I've ever stood on. I mean, not including like 
my apartment balcony, which was fucking cool. Yeah. But like the actually coolest place. Christmas lights um, like a motherfucker. There, there is lawn chairs uh, from Walmart. Fuck yeah! No, I had like <laughs> tools and bookshelves and stuff out there that I was building, that kind of stuff, which is cool. But I think the coolest balcony I ever stood on is there's an airport in Phoenix called Phoenix Sky Harbor International, and like most airports, it has a giant tower where the control team manages all the flights from the control you can tower see the whole airport from there. yes <laughs> i was trying to explain it in a very confusing way um, you succeeded <laughs> <laughs> well done so in that control tower like there is in many there's little like balconies for the team that works there to like go out and like i guess have a smoke or just have a break or whatever like outside for a bit because it's a very stressful job mm-hmm. i have been on one such balcony and it is buck fucking wild you can imagine what it is like to see an airport from inside a room through windows and stuff right you can imagine what it's like to see most of the city from inside a room because you've seen cities as you take off in planes and that kind of stuff now imagine that except you're just fucking standing there out in the open with the view like that and the wind and like most tall buildings wind gets very strong because of how convection currents work uh, adiabatic heating and cooling and all that makes wind in skyscrapers and tall buildings very, very strong towards the top. Mm-hmm. It's that, except you don't have like the 10 foot glass sheet that prevents you from flying off the top of the Empire State Building. There isn't that. It's just a handrail like you would find on any other balcony. It's fucking rad. And I think that's probably the coolest balcony I've ever stood on. That sounds amazing. Plus, it's peaceful as <laughs> shit. Like it, it is utterly quiet for such a loud place. Hmm. Cool, man. How does one get up in that tower and do I was that? Say, like, how do we sneak up there? Yeah, it's complicated a little bit, but uh, it helps that uh, you have a dad that works at the airport and rebuilds a lot of that stuff. Okay, I thought you were going to say it helps that you get a lawyer to bail you out of jail for trespassing. <laughs> <laughs> or it helps that you know how to do parkour. <laughs> <laughs> like full on fucking Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild is scaling the fucking side of the... Like fucking Spider-Man. Like there, there are people that get into <laughs> urban climbing, and if Seth had a phase in his life like that, it would not surprise me in the least bit. <laughs> I have news for you, friend. There's no if about that. All right. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> yeah, I knew you were into free running at some point, but yeah. Wow. Well, that sounds amazing. It is. It was pretty cool. There's a balcony much like it on the tower here in Seattle in the in SeaTac Airport. That, I think, would probably be a way cooler balcony to be on. Just because the view alone would be way better yeah. than looking at the Phoenix sprawl. But I do not have a way to get onto that balcony. Yet. Yeah. <laughs> yet. <laughs> Emphasis on the yet. That's awesome. Mine's a little bit more mundane and traditional. I'll go if, if, if that's cool with you guys. Yeah, man. Go for it. On my honeymoon, I went to Kauai. And uh, Hell yeah. there is a place. Uh, I stayed in like the southeast, kind of near the airport in Lahui. But... Uh, we made the trek up to the north side of the island on one of the last days we were there because we wanted to go to the Nepali coast, which I think is the most beautiful place I've ever seen. Mm. Um, it's absolutely gorgeous. Yeah. I was so glad you did that, man. And I didn't go on the hike, which evidently is just quite muddy and uh, and uh, it's it's a proper hike. Like you, You've got to be prepared for that. And we were in full resort mode. So we just went to the coast and viewed the views and had a great time. 
But on the way there, we stopped at this place called Happy Talk Lounge, which is in uh, at the St. Regis. It's no longer the St. Regis, but it's in Princeville, Kauai, which is on the um, the proper north tip of the island. It's like attached to this hotel, the Princeville Resort. And in the lounge, uh, there's this balcony that extends out kind of over some of the, the hotels that are there. And it has an unobstructed view of the sort of north to west uh, slope of the coast as it disappears into the ocean. In the Happy Talk Lounge, you can get delicious appetizers and uh, great local craft beer. And um, it was one of my favorite days. Like, not only was Nepali Coast amazing, but that balcony at Happy Talk Lounge is probably one of my favorite places that I've I've ever been to because it was just so relaxing, so cool, and the the views were amazing. And I could sit there and just chill. And generally speaking, like if I'm sitting at a restaurant, Sammy's there and we're just chilling, we're going to be talking and whatever. And we had like a few moments where we just both stopped talking and just watched the the ocean. Silent appreciation of a third thing. Man, that sounds so good. That sounds wonderful. I literally dream about it. So I yeah, I want to <laughs> go back someday. Yeah. When, when are you going back? As so, soon as I can. We, we were going <laughs> to... We were going to go, um, but then pandemic. So yeah. 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 I was in the same exact boat. We were, we were going to make a, a trip out there to spread my mother's ashes in, uh, on the Pali coast and then pandemic. So anyways, now that Alex has, has won. <laughs> right. I uh... <laughs> uh, hold on. I got a good one. Okay. So eight or nine years ago, I went on a vacation to San Francisco uh, it was actually for my dad's 50th birthday, and he's actually, last episode that came out uh, is was actually his 59th birthday. So anyway, yeah, uh, we went to San Francisco just to fucking go, just to say we'd all been, and uh, we got this hotel room at the company he was working for. He still works for them, actually. And um, I kept looking out the window. My dad was like, what are you looking at? And I kept looking out this window, and I went out on the balcony. And I'm looking around, and I was like, I feel like I've been here before. It's super fucking weird. Like, I'd never been to Northern California before that point. He's like, I don't know. We never came here on vacation. Like, he had been there before to San Francisco on business and whatnot. It was really fucking weird. And and for, like, the past two days where we were there, I just couldn't piece it together, like, why it looks so fucking familiar. And, like, the last day we're there, I'm standing out on this balcony. I'm looking around, and I'm like, holy fuck. I'm looking at the streets level from Tony Hawk. <laughs> yeah. So oh, I'm like, I'm like, dad, I fucking figured, he's like, what's going on? I figured it out. And I, I, I'm like, that's, that's a fucking Tony Hawk level. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely spectacular. That was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> it was the fucking, it was streets from Tony Hawk Pro Skater. And yeah, it took, it took me forever because I hadn't played the game in years prior, but looking down, I'm like, Fuck. <laughs> That's a pretty good balcony, friend. Hilarious moment. Yeah. It was an amazing trip, too. Like, if you haven't had the opportunity to go to SF, check it out. Like, it's way different than Full House makes it out to be. But, yeah. by the way, I went to the Full House house, and I went wandering down that street, and uh, the Tanners lived in the hood, bro. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. SF is not like Disneyland, like this wonderful, amazing, super happy, friendly place. Like, it's pretty rough and tumble. Uh-huh. And the Tanners family house is is right in the fucking hood. I don't know if it always was, but it is now. But beautiful fucking city, regardless. And uh, I met a lot of cool people. Uh, avoided a couple of people <laughs> but uh super dope city amazing seafood very cool but it's also a tony hawk level so yeah 
Thank you, John, for sending that question. Awesome question. Yeah, excellent question. What are memories brought up in this episode? God, dude, I I miss Kauai so much. And I don't think about Kauai until Alex brings it up, which he does not often, but like often enough, right? Not, you know, not enough. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. Not yeah, there you go. And every time he does, I'm like, man. I don't know if I don't think about it because it makes me sad that I'm not there currently <laughs> or if I don't think about it because it's like some kind of like my brain is avoiding like such good time memories so I don't wear them out. You know what I mean? I don't know. But I don't think about Kauai and, and Alex brings it up every so often and every time it's like, fuck, what a cool <laughs> place. God damn it. <laughs> why can't I go right now? Yeah. Why am I not living there currently and just fucking jumping around on the beach like the good old days? So much fun. Poipu is amazing. Uh, it's like Kauai is like perfect for if you want to chill and or do outdoor activities. So like next time I want to like go spelunking basically. <laughs> like yeah, hike all dude. over the coast. Kayak again. We did a bunch of uh waterfall stuff while I was there. I I wanted at the time, I wanted really, really desperately to do a backflip off of every waterfall that was publicly accessible in Kauai. I did not make that because that list is very long, <laughs> but I did give it a good honest a good honest effort. <laughs> you give it a college try. Yeah. Which, honestly, I gave it more of a try than I did in college, so I don't know if that's apt. Nobody fucking tries in college. Nope. <laughs> Except drugs and alcohol. You try a lot of that. I didn't do either one of those in college. I, I, I did. <laughs> I did a lot of backflips in college, though. Does that count? I've never done a backflip, so you got me beat there. You should try it, dude. It's pretty fun. It's exhilarating if you don't land on your back. <laughs> right. Yeah. I don't want to backflip into the ocean. That'd be painful as shit. Just like trying to end this this podcast episode. <laughs> <laughs> Is that going to do it for us, DT? <laughs> uh, that might do it for this episode Ooh. of Space Castle. It's your clubhouse now. It's for all things nerdy. I think Seth has one more thing to say. Or was he, were you booing me? He was oofing. I was oh, okay. oofing. That's fair. That's absolutely applicable. Yeah. Classic oof. Yeah. Oof. <laughs> like we're in Roblox. Oof. Yeah. Uh, as always, we want to thank our good friend Brian Levitt for co-writing our theme song, D's Notes. I want to invite you to become a Galactonaut at patreon.com slash spacecastlepod. My name's DT. My name's Redwine Alex, part-time librarian, Winnebago Thief, King Killer Dude, Inverse Batman, Master and Space Commander, Maltaltaltaltaltaltaltaltaltaltaltaltaltaltaltaltaltaltaltaltaltaltaltaltaltaltaltaltaltaltaltaltaltaltaltaltaltaltaltaltaltaltaltaltaltaltaltaltalta